So, Jonathan Ray joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. Jonathan, myself and Gordo have just been talking about from when you started in the World Superbike Paddock. And I think if you were to think back to 2008 and look back over the last 12 years, I don't think anyone could have imagined the kind of success that you've been able to have. No, definitely not, to be fair. Um, I mean, I came to the World Superbike Paddock as and my eyes just got opened, you know, because you're starting to share a paddock with guys like Troy Bayless and Noyuki Haga, Troy Corser, people that were household names. And I came in the feeder class, super sport class, but in the, let's say the official team, super sport was big back then, you know, and um, all the riders were pretty well paid manufacturer support with Honda and Yamaha. It was always a class of the Titans, but I was lucky to go there with the 10K team and um, they built awesome super sport bikes. But I do remember my first, this is how I, um, how huge it was. My first test was actually at Phillip Island. So we did an overseas private test and I rolled out down pit lane towards T1 and I couldn't believe how slow the bike felt because I was coming from BSB. So once I got my head around that, it was um, it was awesome. But I embraced every minute in the paddock and it was a, a cool place to be. Just when you think about that time that you were in BSB, obviously you went there as a 17, 18-year-old kid on a superbike, which we're starting to see a little bit more of for younger riders to get those opportunities now again, but you were quite the outlier at that stage of your career. There wasn't too many guys that got that chance like that. It was always, you had to wait until you were 21, 22 before getting on a big bike. Definitely. You know, the, the Red Bull program um, that both myself, Eugene, Stephen, Nate, um, uh, young Chris Jones, who passed away, was part of, it was incredible um, because it gave you that security, that, they were trying to develop you. Do you know what I mean? So you didn't feel like the first round you came to, you had to make it all work. But in saying that my first year in a superbike, I was probably way too inexperienced because my career went one, two, five. And then I did six races in supersport and broke my leg. And then pretty much with 18 months of experience, they put me on a, on a superbike. Now I'd come from motocross and even with, Racing since I've been five years old, nothing prepared me for that. And I'm so lucky to be able to get that learning experience on on someone else's budget, if you like, because I made a lot of mistakes that year. I crashed a lot, but it, 05 was the year that um, I showed some speed, but I put nothing together. You know, it was, when I looked at the championship position, it was terrible. It was probably, I don't know, 16th or 18th or something like that. Um, but the following year, after all them learning experiences, we got a kit bike from Honda um, and I made a big step. I got fourth in the championship and managed to put it, put together some, um, some good results. And obviously the second year you became the youngest pole setter in BSB, which was one of those real times when everyone was able to see just what kind of potential there was. And then the following year you were able to be a title contender and then you went to world super sport. Yeah. The, being, um, I mean, when I first went into the team, the development team, if you like, I was surrounded by um, Kianari, Rutter, Carl Harris, you know, big deal guys. And even though you felt like the baby team, you, that sort of winning mentality from Neil Tuxworth, Harvey Belton, all the, fed all the way down. And um, I longed for a chance on that HM plant bike. You know, it was factory. I remember they didn't, they didn't um, build that bike in life. All the mechanics had to fly to Japan and build it. It was a real special bike. It's when they were still doing development with Mitchell and Ty. 
Myers versus the eight hours. So when I got that chance, it was actually it was the first year I actually made some, I made a salary from racing, and um, it was incredible. Keo was a great teammate as well. And I won some races and managed to. It was a three-way fight for the championship at the last round. Myself, Keo Nari, and Leon Haslam, and um, yeah, it was it was great. And all through that, all through that period, I had a great consistency working with Chris Pike. He was my crew chief. And he was really good from the point of view of um, keeping me calm, but also very technically minded. So he had a good balance, similar to what I have with Perry Reba right now. He's um, he's not just go boffin. He's got empathy and understanding of what a rider needs. And um, I was really lucky to have that. So I, I guess you could say, you know, whilst I was really very fortunate to fall in all these good opportunities and meet good people along the way but um there's there was a few difficult years as well but we um it's turned out all right in the end we included a, a clip from para on one of the recent shows on the pod and uh, i think it was a little bit uh, x-rated from reba about what a rider needs but the big thing he talks about is just it doesn't matter what's in the bike. It's just about making sure that the rider feels comfortable, feels confident and feels ready to go out and push hard. That seems perfectly sensible, but it's not always what you see from crew chiefs. No, it is. It is. And I, I sort of learned that myself in the years at 10K at Honda when nothing new was coming. Um, you knew that I would get more stickers on the bike, you know, and think, ah, you know, that's going to bring me some lap time. but. Um, I remember being at a test somewhere and I was working with Peter Bradles. He was um, ex-WP suspension, came to 10K as the technical manager. One year he was my crew chief. And I remember him looking at me in the eye and saying, listen, we're not changing the bike. You need to go and do a race simulation. And by doing that, you're going to find a lot more time yourself. And I kind of thought that's, I don't want to do that. You know, it's a test. Why should I have to do 20 laps on the limit? But he was so right. And you know, I've been teammates with people in the past. And or I, I look across other garages and you see trying to nail a perfect setup all the time. But I learned quite quickly that you have so much influence on the bike yourself just by moving the bike, moving your position on the bike. One millimeter changes the center of gravity, changes the weight balance. Um, we start a race with brand new Pirelli tires, which are super, super grippy. But at the end of the race, the character is completely different. You start with, you know, 22, four liters of fuel in the tank and you finish with not many. So all them different, you can't have a perfect bike made for every single lap. So it's more about having people around me from an early age that really helped me adapt and made me adapt because... I am quite critical of the bike sometimes, but um, more times than enough, I'm critical with myself. And it also helps having Fabian in the box now as well as Perry because they're on the same page. And he he can tell me very honestly, you know, what, what I should do wrong. And I really trust him. You know, he's ex-world champion and I want to improve. So as long as we, we never butt heads and we fight from the same corner, it, it works pretty good. Obviously, you mentioned that you were teammates to Keo and Rudder early in your career. Your first teammate in the World Championship was Andrew Pitt. So yeah. at that stage, you had British champions, world champions as your teammates. What did you pick up from each of them? Well, Pitty was the ultimate professional. Like I really, I really enjoyed having AP as my teammate. Um, 
we got on so well. I remember our first test together in Australia. Um, actually, a funny story was I they'd had Fabian and and AP were really good friends. And going to this first test in Australia, we we caught up on Melbourne South Bank, and they'd done really well from the sport. You know, made a lot of money. And I was I can't remember what age I was, but I said would you give me some money to jump off that bridge into Melbourne South Bank? And Fabian said, I'll give you $500 if you jump off it. And I literally was taking my shoes off to jump off the bridge. But that was the, that was the cool relationship. I went into the team and even though the competitiveness rivalry didn't start until we actually came down to fight for a championship, me and AP worked incredibly well together. I haven't had a teammate like it since where we would actually discuss Pirelli bring in two new different tyres and hey, you go and test this one on the session and I'll test that. You know, our crew chiefs would discuss it as well and at the end of the session would be really open and honest and and realise that if we're both on the same material and, and he beats me, then what he's better and and likewise. So, um, yeah, AP went on to win the championship that year. I made it a 1-2 finish in second and um, it was a strange one because contractually we both had... Um, performance clauses that to be fair to the contract we both should have got a super bike ride the following year but I graduated and AP didn't and that was um that was really tough on him because he deserved being a world super sport champion and also making the step in his career to come back from Superbike um to try and win that you know he probably deserved that step up but I'm so grateful I got it in the end just listening to you talk about how you- you were able to work with your teammate, the crew chiefs were able to work together. That does seem in very big contrast at the moment with Kawasaki. Over the course of your time as Kaw- as Kawa's rider, you obviously had Tom as a teammate, you've had Haslam as a teammate, you've had Alex Lowe's now. And we've never really been able to see that kind of relationship between both sides of the Kawasaki pit box that you would have had at Tenkata whenever you were in Supersport. Is that something that you feel as well, or are you just focused on what you need to do to get the most out of the bike? Um, I don't know if it's, you know, when life goes on, it just changes because I didn't feel that superbike side of the Honda camp. But um, when I moved to Kawasaki, all I could hear from the outset was Tom was obviously winning and had great credibility. And you would just hear how much he would thank um, Marcel and Danilo. So the only names I knew inside Kawasaki were Marcel and Danilo. And um, when... When I first went to Kawasaki, I was I had reservations working for Perry because just listening to Tom from from the outsider and TV interviews with you guys would be well these the other side's the B team, you know, the side that Loris was working with. And when I first rode there, you know, I didn't you didn't build this trust straight away. It was kind of it just happened because there's they were so good. The mechanics I don't want to tempt fate, but we we rarely have issues with the bike. Um, the um, I mean Perry was just so understanding and wants to learn. So every time I go out in the bike, it's better. And he really understands my comments and can couple that well with data. Sometimes my comments completely conflict the data, and he he makes the right choice of what to listen to. And I rarely ask him what changes he's made to the bike, he just tells me he's, we're going to try and do this to make it do this. So technically, 
sometimes riders, for example, like Leon would carry around a portfolio of settings that he knows works. And I honestly couldn't tell you what weight springs I use in the front of my bike or the rear of the bike, what head pipe angles. And it's helped me not to be so technical. Um, and yeah, inside back to what you're saying inside KRT, it's a strange one because, you know, I get on really well with Alex, but it seems like there's a common trend on that side of the guys that they focus development in one way. And, and I focus development my way, obviously. And there's not that coming together at the end. When I first worked with Leon, I tried to implement somebody new coming to the team after Tom being there. So, you know, I tried to implement um, joint debriefs together and that lasted for one race in Phillip Island and then it stopped. So, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one, but it's um, it's what works. Like, it's everybody's different, riders as well as crew chiefs, and um, it's, it's just how it is. Obviously, whenever you joined Kawasaki, there was a lot of pressure on you because I remember talking to Eugene had just moved to MotoGP at that stage, and I remember he was saying right from the first round, no one's going to see which way Johnny goes on a Kawasaki. And there was that expectation within the Superbike paddock that you had to go in there and perform. If you didn't beat Tom, that was going to be it really for you. And obviously you've been able to live up to that hype, but what did it feel like for you from the first time that you jumped on the bike? Well, I think the biggest pressure was actually just signing the contract. I wasn't thinking about what I was going to do because I was in a nice little place with Honda. You know, they treated me really well there. Um, it was a Honda Europe program, so they didn't get any support from the factory, but, Everybody I knew inside there, Robert Wotherston, Carlo Fiorani, the team. It was Kushti, you know, and the journalists would always give me credit for if I won, it was incredible. If I didn't, well, you know, the bike's not great. So I always felt like comfort blanket. But then suddenly to go to Kawasaki, there's not that comfort blanket because Tom's just won the world championship. He's been he's been second either the year previous and the year following. It was um I knew it to do well, otherwise but it was kind of a measuring tool. You know, you never really know how good you're going to be until you get on something that's good. Um, so, but I also don't feel like I would have been so competitive had I not had them learning years with Honda. So I've got a lot to thank them for. Um, but the first, uh, honestly, the first laps, and I've said this heaps, but I remember the first laps right now and the feeling with the throttle connection, the engine was, unbelievable i felt the bike was made for me really and i came in after my first run and i was already faster than i'd been with the honda and um that's not normal because normally you need some time to adjust riding position but in saying that my mechanics how sneaky they were in qatar when last race of the year we were in park fermi together with most if they were there Lars baz must have been there i was second to sylvan so um they took all the measurements from the triangle, you know, my hand on the bar position to seat position to footrest. And so when I first sat on the bike, it felt like my cockpit, if you like. And then it was just a, a matter of understanding your suspension, electronics and engine filling. Obviously, when you look at the last six years, there's obviously going to be highlights and there's going to be some disappointments as well. It's pretty tricky for everyone to pick out the disappointments, but... If you think back over the last two years, there have been two very tough seasons for you. Last year, obviously, Bautista wins all of the races for the first four rounds. This year, we had 
a very tricky calendar, a very tricky season. So, it, you know, it wasn't plain sailing all the way through the six years. No, def- well, definitely not, but I can't complain. Um, it's been, it is quite hard to pick out disappointments. Um, 2016 was a tough year because I I really struggled with the new bike, the engine character. The It was a year I struggled with um, a lot of false neutrals. I was getting myself into bother and the more we would try and fix that, the more issues I'd have. So, um Basically, um, there was that. Then difficult moments, you know, crashing out of race one this year in Phillip Island was difficult because I felt like an idiot. And although it was a knock-on effect of being shunted in, in Lucky Heights on lap one, I still should have, shouldn't have made the mistake of crashing. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been awesome. It's um, it's hard to it's hard to put into words what what's going on right now, but. I just keep keep trying to see positives because I really know that we're facing some difficult challenges from from the competitors. You know, the the level of competition now from manufacturer point of view is so high and we always need to try and step up. But being a production championship, you're only able to to do so much for the bike. So last year was really tough knowing that the engineers at Kawasaki could could give me a much better bike. Um, but the regulations wouldn't permit that. You know, we have to run standard this and that and to certain RPMs, you know, by far the lowest RPMs last year of anybody. And um, having Alvaro on the bike, he really understood how to take profit of the V4R. You know, he he was probably, it was probably the toughest challenge yet, but I still felt I did okay. You know, I got through every race weekend and I didn't feel disappointed. Um it was just hard to accept sometimes that, you know, this guy would take so much time out if you're in a straight line and um, there's only so fast you can ride around the corners, you know, and when you've got top speed advantage, um, you know, I complained about it last year and I got, you know, ridiculed for it, but it was, it's so it's hard to accept because they also have the same parameters to change the chassis, the electronics, the suspension, and they've got this advantage on the straight. So yeah, you almost feel like you've got your hands tied behind your back. And I think we showed the strength of character in our team that we were able to overcome that really and and win races that we had to win to to put us in contention. And then when he when he started making mistakes, um, then we were able to capitalize and, and then that snowballed and then I felt great at the end of the year. Do you think two people sometimes even already forget just how dominant he was at the start of last year and it showed the potential of that bike? Because when you talk to people about superbikes, they always just talk about how always, you know, Johnny's been able to win six in a row. So clearly there there mustn't be that sort of depth in the field. Whereas when you actually look at the championship now, there is tremendous depth all the way through from bikes, from riders, from everything. But Alvaro at the start of last year showed what can happen whenever you hook everything up and then he just wasn't able to keep it running the whole way through the season. Absolute different level he was on, um, and you know he's gonna uh, he's gonna uh, be frustrated. I think for a long time because it was there was mistakes he made that he didn't need to make um, because he had everything completely under control. Um, he was winning with such a margin that I haven't seen win margins like that in sport at all in any class. You know. Um, I think for the first three rounds, he was winning by more than 12 seconds. And 
I'll never forget feeling so bad, tipping into T3 at Phillip Island. And I, I already seen him coming out of the hairpin towards Siberia. It was like, you had no idea how you were going to beat this guy. Um, but it's like I say, he, he was riding very good. He took all the profit from R. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe it suits that type of rider. Maybe we've seen this year with Ronaldo on the bike, smaller. He's been able to make the private bike work really well. Um, Scott's been super fast in certain races. Chaz has been really fast in certain races. So it seems like the package they have right now is really user-friendly across the board. Well, let's actually just move on to talk a little bit about Ducati then as well, because obviously the big news over the last couple of weeks was that Rinaldi was going to replace Davis on the factory bike. He's legit been my main championship rival throughout my career because, you know, when... Back then, it was a little bit more even. You know, I felt like our bike was possibly even better than the old Ducati, but he would get the best out of it, and he would turn up some weekends and and tranche it. I would do the same, and then there'd be most weekends it would be like last lap battles. So it was really good. It was a good intense rivalry, um, but it's just always been there, always been there, and you know how how you can qualify in races like Phillip Island near the back and then but then be there on Saturday Sunday it's it's really strange one um I mean I don't know how complicated that bike is but we can put a super pole tire in our bike and and not make a setting change and it works kind of thing so I just have to adapt how you attack the lap um but yeah I think it's it was perfect it's unfortunate that he's lost his ride um I understand why really because michael's michael also deserves it um but it was a, it was a perfect way for him to sort of stick two fingers up at his old employers at the last race you know he dominated the race he took it by um the bull by the horn so he's he's got all my respect for that and just when you look at the championship then as well potentially we're losing a rider like Chaz from the grid he's finished third in the world championship he's won two races he's scored a lot of points in the second half of the year it's not good for the championship whenever you lose a rider like that, potentially. No, definitely not. Um, because he's won two races this year, yeah. He's won yeah. two. There's, um, there's been a lot of race winners this year. So when you start taking them out, um, it's it's tough. But, yeah, I mean, there's no factory seats left. And he just, he's a guy that deserves a factory seat, you know. And, um, you know, I... Superbike's a better place for having him. He's got that style that's always on the edge. He brings something a bit different, you know. But then you could you could potentially say the same when when we lost Marco Melandri to you know factory bikes. You know, he always brought something to the championship. But you know, life moves on as well. You've got this new crop of guys from um, Scott Toprak, you know, Michael Ronaldo now that are able to win races, um, Vandermark. So. It's still in a healthy place, um, but yeah, I think certainly if when I look at super, maybe the outside fan can turn the page quite easy. But when I look at Superbike, I see, I always see Chaz there because he's a good, um, he's a sort of seasoned Superbike guy. Yeah, and just you mentioned some of those younger riders or newer riders coming through. Obviously, we've got three riders stepping up from Supersport, including Locatelli on the Yamaha. Mm -hmm. We've got Vandermark moving across to the BMW. You've got Toprak, obviously, second year with the Yamaha. Scott, second year with the Ducati. Rinaldi, obviously, stepping up to the factory bike. 
the future looks really good actually for the championship right now. The te- in terms of the depth that we have all the way through the grid, like for me, one of the the big things that you can see for how strong Superbike is is that over the last couple of years, riders like Tom and Eugene on the BMW, they've been just trying to scratch out some top ten finishes. Whereas you know five six years ago, riders of that quality with a decent bike underneath them, they'd be finishing top five. Hundred percent, but I think it shows also the the step that Yamaha have made because they've really genuinely not been at the party since since Spies left, um, and maybe arguably the year after when Cal and Tosin were there. Um, so they've figured out what one races and can be there. Uh, um, also, I feel like since two thousand fifteen, since I've been at Kawasaki, more guys are starting to figure out how to put much. Uh, a season together but a weekend together a race together and um, that's experience but now you've got you know guys it's awesome what Gerloff done you know coming from Moto America with a competitive satellite bike he's able to show his but also the potential that you know you can take a gamble and come on a a bike, make it work with your career around you and be there. So it shows the strength of, of that bike as well. Um, and yes, yeah, I think it's, I think it's in a great place. I think the only disappointing thing is, you know, this year was a tougher year for BMW, albeit, you know, I, th- I don't think the COVID situation helped them too well because they were trying to develop something that was, that was pretty new. Um, and then, but you know, next year looks like they're making a, they're trying to make even more steps. So I don't know if it's going to be a step to put them on par where everybody is now or a step to take them to where everybody's going to be next year. But I, I hope it's the latter because you know, when I was teammates with Tom, he was so competitive. It was a great inner team fight because I had a lot of motivation to beat him. And likewise, then, you know, Vandermark going there, I really rate Mikey. Um, so maybe he'll bring a bit of outside ideas in and, um, have a bit bit of motivation because it seemed the the motivation for that project started really high in Phillip Island, but you know it dwindled as soon as they start seeing some tough races. Um, but yeah, Superbike I think it's great because even the satellite bikes now, like you seen with Ronaldo this year with Loris Baz with Gerloff, there's so many guys even on satellite bikes, underfunded teams that they can put things together in a weekend and challenge for not just the podium but the win. So it's motivating for everybody. You know, if you if you do your work and put everything right, you can challenge me on a Kawasaki or Reading on a Ducati or or Top Bike on a Yamaha. You mentioned Gareth there as well a couple of times, Johnny, and obviously we've a lot of American listeners on the podcast, and they're always quite keen to know what people think of. Garloff and the performances he had but what's been your thoughts on him as the season's progressed I think he's done an awesome job like because he came in so under the radar um, because I don't think you mind me saying but in Moto America everyone's under Cameron's shadow and um, you know for him to step out of that and come here I think Cam probably actually regrets not taking that chance to come a bit earlier because Garrett's done such an awesome job, but maybe that's maybe he made the difference coming across and being in a great team. I know um, he working with Les and 
that's that's probably a, a great thing for him. Um, but it's not easy. I can't imagine. I got so lucky because I went to the World Championship but still travelled home. And, you know, every other weekend I could be hanging out with my mates at the motocross track where he's had to come leave everything that's comfortable to him and base himself in a different continent with have to make new friends, have to try to manufacture that relationship inside a team that he possibly had in Moto America. So you can't underestimate how hard that is. Um, I touched base with him a few times in the summer to see if we could, when he was in Barcelona, to see if we could catch up for He's always a guy that seems really, really happy to be there as well. Um, that's, I remember trying to chase him down in Barcelona, one of the races in Barcelona. And I, I had so much motivation. Oh, don't worry, it's, I'll, I'll catch him, I'll catch him. And then after a few laps, I was thinking, there's no way I'm catching him. You know, he's, he kept going and kept going. So that was nice. Well, not nice for me to get beat, but it's also, you know, I'm a big enough fan of the sport to realise when someone's doing really well. And it was like credit to him. I went to see him after the race when he was doing his interviews and told him he'd done an awesome job. So, um, yeah, he probably regrets that mistake into the hairpin, though, when, when Mikey got back through. But um, he's done, an, yeah, I think he's done a really good job. Yeah, after that race, he was talking about riding like an idiot and defending ghosts pretty much. But uh, <laughs> he's definitely made big steps all the way through the year. And I think when we look at the season as a whole, you could probably say that we've seen that everyone's made a big step. Because if you look at this season, you arguably only had the best bike at one round this year in Portimao. If you look at the season as a whole, Yamaha had probably two or three tracks where it was the bike to be on. Ducati had a few tracks like that. But we didn't really see the Kawa have that. We saw you in Portimao have the best bike, but we've seen you in Portimao on lots of different bikes have that sort of potential. Do you think is this one of those years where, yeah, you're able to win the championship, but people will actually kind of look at it and say, you know what, maybe the Kawa isn't the bike to have right now. Maybe the gap has closed right up. Well, it certainly has because you, I mean, you cannot underestimate the level our team work, work at, you know, from management level right down. And you only have to look across the garage um, or to the satellite bikes and see see how they're getting on, you know. And Alex Lowe's, make no mistake, is one of the best riders in the paddock. You know, I think he demonstrated that last year at Yamaha when arguably they didn't have the right bike. You know, they had to wait to a big upgrade came this year. They talked a lot about the power they found in the off season. Well, Alex didn't have that last year and he finished third in the world. And, um, but I think our bike, I don't like to, to feed off any negativity around, but I do feel we get the best out of our bike. We're starting to scratch the surface. Um, we're starting to find the ceiling if you like, but, there's also some areas where I need I need to improve. Our bike doesn't turn the most natural. Um, it was never that great in the hot conditions until this year. So there's always potential to to improve it a little bit. But when you start to see, I don't want to think too much about it. This year was a strange year, but it's the benchmark last year and how Alvaro was managing races the first four rounds. That's the level you need to be at. You know, you need to be you know, winning races with that total time. Um, and we still have a, a long way to go to get there. And um, so, yeah, step by step, understand um, what we can do. And also, I need to improve. I've been making more mistakes this year than I have, but arguably that's because um, it's getting tougher and tougher. And you can't ride around at 
99% now you have to touch the limit in some some areas and you know it's trying to manage that limit I felt like on race two probably the career my career favorite race because I managed to play with that limit for for the duration of the race you know having front slides rear slides almost crashing but I won the race and that was probably the best feeling I've ever had um so it's yeah just now that I'm riding at that intensity it's it's, it's getting tougher but um yeah, let's see if we can make a step this off season with the with the weaker areas we have. Yeah, we've got a few questions from listeners as well, Johnny. And uh, one of the questions is from Kevin Lee, and Kevin's kind of asking something similar to what you were talking about there. He's talking in terms of, can you give us any sneak peek on if there's going to be a new bike for 2021, and what kind of you need the bike to make us? Well, the biggest thing I would wish for in a new bike is just. Um, you know, a lot of speed traps fall and break in areas, so it's not a true reflection, but we've been genuinely suffering in that area. Um, and I would like the to, to turn more naturally, especially on the gas at full angle. Then info about, about that. Um, to be fair, I'm a bit in the dark um, because things are so, so behind with what's going on this year. Um we're just waiting for the Japanese to release models. And if, if we're going to see an update with the ZX-10RR or not. So I'm, but aside, apparently all the journalists know already because they've been talking about it for weeks and asking me questions about it for weeks. But well, I'll sit here patiently on my hands and, and wait for some, some official news. Yeah, because in the uh, manufacturer's press conference last time at Nestral, Steve Guthridge from Kawasaki was very adamant that we're still waiting for any confirmation on anything for next year. And he wasn't willing to be drawn on whether or not there'd be a new engine, new aero, new anything on the bike. He was just very adamant that it was going to take time until we were able to to come to any sort of realisation about what the new bike could be. But obviously testing is going to start in a couple of weeks' time. So do you think are you going to have a new bike for testing or are you going to be out on the, the same spec bike you finish the year? I don't know. We'll have to see in a few weeks' time. But I think, um, I honestly think we'll be rolling out with exactly what we had. Um, there's some chassis components that I've pushed for to try and soften the, to make the the transition from on gas to, to loading the rear tyre a little bit more smooth at the top of the stroke. Um, so there's some items we're going to test there so that hopefully I can carry a little bit more more corner speed in the longer corners, like in, in Jerez or in Bar- last sector in Barcelona, because it seems like our bikes either, it's really good in maximum braking, and it's really good when you're squeezing the rear tyre and maximum acceleration, but that, that transition point we still need to, to work a lot on. And, John, we've got a question as well from Philip Friend, and Philip's a big fan of Scott Redding, and he wants to ask you just how hard did Scott push you through the year, and do you expect him to be your big rival again next year? Yeah, I definitely expect Scott to be to be there next year. Um, how hard did he push me? Well, I've just I've, if he goes back and listens to the whole interview, I think I've been riding on my limit this year. So not just Scott though, but everybody. You know, he got flat out beat as well this year um, by other guys. So it's it's a season where how many different winners have we had? Is it six or seven? Seven, I think. And Seven. Then I think 11 guys on the podium this year. So. so, and I mean, we're not all riding around at 99% or like tossing around. You know what I mean? Everyone's out there giving it 
they're all so Scott's definitely made me um, have to dig deep in certain tracks um, but um, yeah it's been a season where a lot of people have done that as well Just uh, about that as well this year Johnny obviously Scott came in with 11 years Grand Prix experience a year in BSB at the start of the season, he was talking in terms of, I've got to beat Johnny. That was his target. And then as the year went on and we got to the final couple of rounds, he was talking about, well, Johnny's the man under pressure. He's the guy that's got those world championships. He needs to win another one. Like, What did you think of the rivalry with Scott this year? Because from the outside looking into it, it looked like there wasn't really too much mind games being played between you. It looked like it was mostly pretty respectful out on track. Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. Um, I think... He he done an awesome job, to be fair. But he is a Grand Prix rider, you know. He's I said that last year. I really felt like if we took Alvaro as the benchmark, I expected him to come in and do an even better job. So um, it's funny because I, I only knew Scott when we were really young. Um, I was like I was staying in Eugene Lavery's camper when he rode for. That Bluesons 250 team and Scott was there in the 125 and we were all there with I think his dad and his uncle were there always travel with him and we had a we had a hoop but he was so young back then 14 or something then so I followed his career from TV and from social media and he, I didn't really know who I was gonna, who I was going to get involved with you know and he was, he was super from the first test he was brand new always respectful open um it was actually funny. His uncle came. Daryl's a bit. He, he loves walks with his shoulders rocking all the time. And he came up to me. The first thing he said to me in Haref first winter test was, "We've only come here to beat you." I thought, oh, "All right, Daryl. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> it's been a long time, mate." So that was the that was the feeling I had. They've actually they're kind of forgetting guys like Rinaldi, like Top Rack, like Alex Lewis. And I was like, "All right." No worries, mate. Um, good luck. And then that was kind of it. Where Scott was being, Scott's been nothing but normal. You know, you, I could feel at the start he was, he wanted it, you know, as much as I did. And that's really good when you have someone like that because it fuels your fire for you. And then at the end, I mean, I don't think it was mind games at all, but, you know, the, to say I was under pressure going into, you know, the last round was, yeah, it was grasping at straws you know like defense mechanism um but he almost got that right you know how i had a big crash in super pole um likewise he did as well and that could have been me out but he would still have had to go out and win three races that weekend um so it was um yeah it was a scott's been brilliant all through tv the backstage stuff that nobody sees he's been um he's been exactly if he comes across aloof on his social media or a bit strange, he's actually the ultimate professional. Um, things he says, and you you hear in the background, he's he's quite. You know, it means a lot. He, he's work he works really hard on this, so it's um, it's a pleasure to ride with him. Get he got a bit close in a few times, but that's all right. So I think I owe him a few nudges next year. Well, we've got another question as well in from Clive Challoner. And uh, Clive's a photographer from Wales, and he's asking you a question then that uh, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, Johnny. Would you trade one of your World Superbike titles for a Grand Prix win? Um, well, I've got six, so I could probably give away one. 
for a GP win. But to be fair, a championship is a coincidence of so many races. And I think putting together a world championship is always going to trump an individual race, no matter what it was. Now, if you ask me, would I trade a world championship for an MXGP overall win? That would be a different story because it was my dream as a kid to be a motocross world champion. So, um, but yeah, I think it's a very hard one that I think it's always going to be a hard one and you're always going to compare, you're always going to compare different eras. Um, so it's a strange one. In superbike terms and in MotoGP terms, you know, like the eras in GP, you've got, you know, from I was a fan, you've got like doing eras and then Valentino, then bit of Casey dominance and now the Marquez era. So it's, um, you know, could you pick your world champ? Could you pick, I'd like to, because you'd, you'd want to be, if you could put all the greats together in a race and you could win that one, then then I'd probably just one, but I'm happy enough, to be fair. Obviously, Johnny, as well, you did get the chance to race a couple of Grand Prix or as well. You were on the Repsol. It gave you some appreciation for the differences between the two classes. You've come close to having conversations about going to Grand Prix at different times. I think back a few years ago with Suzuki, it seemed like it might have been an option. And then obviously the Honda years, there was always rumours, but never really a concrete offer. At this stage of your career, obviously, it's it's unlikely we'll ever see you make that jump. But is it something that gives you any regrets? Yeah. Um, well, do you know, you just said at the start, because I got them two yacht chances, um, and I did it in the Repsol Honda team, arguably the most iconic team in the paddock. Um, I don't, I feel like I am. I got the chance, if you like, even for two races, if you could pick just to go to MotoGP or you could go and ride a Repsol Honda, you'd do what I did. And sort of no regrets. No regrets at all because it, I, um, I am from one weekend to the other. And we've seen a GP guys go there and in the, even in their first season, they can't put it together. So I was trying to do that all in between riding a superbike. What's been told by the boss of HRC, don't crash this bike, just go out and enjoy it. So <laughs> it was like, it was strange, but I got that chance. And this isn't for your listeners, obviously, but no, of course it is. But my options in GP are the closest I ever had any even offer was. Um, the Aprilia bike like two seasons ago maybe two or three seasons ago um, and even at that you know Kawasaki was it was never a, a decision to have to leave um, my manager spoke to Suzuki at a point two seasons ago and, but they were they had zero interest in taking a rider outside of uh, Moto2 feeder classes and, um, and the GP feeder classes and then I was sort of standing in line when uh, I made myself available to Honda, if they considered replacing Danny Pedrosa, but all of a sudden that went very quiet and Jorge got that right. So whilst people talk about even going there or taking a gamble, I've literally not had 
anything more than conversation. There's never been a point in my career I've had to sit down with two different contracts and think, right, which, what works? So um, there's part of me that's a little bit disappointed of that because I actually I've never had the chance. Um, and it should be, you know, you should. I feel like the Superbike World Champion should have, should be almost like a, like a football scenario. We've got promotions and relegations. Um, but when I look back and realise what I, what I, done in Superbike, I'm quite content. But um, it would have been really nice to see, to see what I could do given some time on the right bike uh, in MotoGP, especially in this era where there is no right bike to be on. It is as competitive as Superbike, for example. There was a while where you'd only ever want a, you know, a Honda or you know, a factory Yamaha, but now the GP grid this year has been absolutely mental. You know, any one of three or four bikes have been competitive in different tracks, and that's that's super nice. And obviously, for you as well, then Johnny, your Superbike career started 14 years ago. It's a long time to be on a Superbike, but if an opportunity came up at the end of this contract with Kawasaki, do you think? Is it too is it too late in the day for you to make the switch over, or do you think would would it be nice to have a new challenge and new motivation to try and see what you can do? Because at the end of the day, in the Grand Prix paddock, there are a lot less ages now than there were a few years ago. But for a thirty five year old as you'd be at that stage, it's obviously going to be probably too late. Fuck, I don't know if my wife will let me keep leaving the house in three four years time. You know keep traveling around the world so no that's sure a joke. surely the lockdowns made it where <laughs> like uh, you know you can you can go now johnny it's all right yeah we've had you around yeah. the house for a few months you know when you're when you're winning and winning and it's, it's a reason why i didn't entertain even the conversation um with aprilia is it would have to be competitive bike you know because you wouldn't want to look at it as your like what would you call it your retirement fund if you like, a lot of riders have done that or an option. But you know, whilst I've got an option in Superbike to be competitive and, and win a championship, that's the logical decision. You know, I think going there now and trying to learn the way of the Michelin tires, the way how to ride the bike, it's not that I'm too old and don't have motivation to do it, but I don't want to afford myself three, four two three learning year experiences you know what i mean um, and also maybe i have to i should have more more belief in myself but that it's at a really high level now more gp and to come in there with big ambitions to to fight for the podiums would be pretty far-fetched for someone that's you said 14 years in superbike that's that's a long time with the same character and whatnot so yeah maybe superbike's my place i know i'm I'm good there. I'm competitive there. Um, but yeah, had it been like three, four years ago or two, three years ago, maybe I'd still have had the burning desire to drop everything and 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 run for it and give it a go. But um, yeah, it's I don't I don't know. I'll be very. But if you can organise the phone call from the fa- a factory team to call me up, um, then. Then we can talk about it if it's a real possibility. In fact, one of the factory team managers texted me after this championship, and I, I told him that I would, I'm still available. So, <laughs> uh, and he, he joked with me back. So it's, um, yeah, it's all good. But I think 
we're sort of resigned to the fact that I'll not I'll not get that opportunity. Yeah, obviously Reba's turned down factory offers in GP as well to stay with you in Superbikes. But I wanted to ask you one other one last question as well, Johnny. This year has been a bit different from you personally as well. You've been doing an awful lot more on social media with vlogs and different video projects. But what was the big motivation behind that for you? Um, the motivation, because I'm really into it myself. Um, especially, like, I'm into watching it. Also, my kids are not not addicted, but they're really into YouTube and watching. And I thought, well, maybe I can, with the film and policy for this BK, maybe I can try and sell this sport a little bit better. You know, how cool it is. Also, how, like, my normal life, because I think, Instagram is very visual and you decide what people want but with the vlog thing you know people see it actually it's real life and it's not glitzy and glamorous or whatever and I talked a lot there's a lot of vlogs talking about me missing higher car bookings and having to do all my stuff and you get so many comments like oh do you actually fly with Ryanair yeah I do or do you have to book your own higher cars yeah I do that still and it's just a just an insight and I thought nobody would like it and then suddenly you've got videos that have 20,000 views or and it started out as a bit of fun with my mate Gaz who does you know he's been my mate since I was motocrossing and he's pretty handy with the camera so he was able to edit a lot of the stuff for me and take away he does all my managing my social media content on a race weekend when it's a bit busy so um, I just wanted to invest in that and give it people a bit more of a Behind the scenes, I watched quite a lot, especially the motocross side. You know, motocross rider in America that's got a family, and um, I thought, well, that's really cool insight. And I didn't know all these things. Maybe I should um, let people in, and it's been really well received. And the comments I get really, really help because that makes makes it worthwhile doing. All right. Well, on the pod Johnny and uh, no doubt uh, we'll be catching up again at some stage over the winter but uh, best of luck for the gap now to be able to relax until uh, we get testing it's only what three weeks away until we're back on track yeah is it three weeks wow three weeks well we still got another two weeks of lockdown here in Northern Ireland with me my wife my two kids and the dogs so um, essential travel only to the supermarkets and whatnot and Oh, that, I tell you what, that was strange coming home after winning the World Championship and not being able to go out to restaurants or bars with your mates and, and catch up. But um, such is life, mate, such is life. Three yeah, weeks we'll be back on our bikes, so not too bad. Yeah, three weeks back on the bikes and at least back down to good weather down in southern Spain as well, hopefully. So exactly. thanks for joining us on the show, Johnny. And, Cheers, uh, Steve. Best of luck for the next few weeks, mate. Thanks, man.